you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Matthew chapter 27. And one of the strategies to curb its effect on a community is to limit the physical touch. And when a person does get the COVID-19 coronavirus, they are to be quarantined from the rest of the population and way to withhold uh, that virus from spreading any, in a greater way. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was infected by our sin. He was on the cross, and while he was on the cross, the, our sins infected him, laid upon him. And at that moment, God turned his back on his son because of our sin. Essentially, Jesus was quarantined from God the Father. So our text for this hour is found in Matthew chapter 27, those famous words that Jesus spoke in response to God forsaking him. Let's read Matthew chapter 27 and read verse 45 and 46. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour unto the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So being abandoned, left alone, is certainly a terrible place to be. But as we go through the story and we understand your story, we understand Jesus' story is like our story. If we're a child of God, we will never, ever be abandoned by God because Jesus was willing to be forsaken by God, so we will never experience being abandoned by God. And so we see this in verse 45 and 46, that there is something unique that's happening because in verse 45, the Bible says, it begins, it says, there was darkness over all the land. At that ninth hour, Jesus, when he, Jesus cried out, so from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. We have to understand in Jewish custom, on the first day or the first hour of the day meant at 6 a.m., all right? So at 6 a.m. was the first hour, and the third hour being the ninth, uh, being 9 p.m., and then the sixth hour being noon. And so from noon to 3 p.m. to the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. Now, remember, we have gone through three uh, statements. We're in a fourth statement, the middle of the seven statements Jesus made from the cross. The first three statements from the cross were spoken in daylight. They are also focused about others. Remember the first statement? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At the cross of Jesus, there is forgiveness offered. And truly, that is what the cross is about, forgiveness of our sins. Jesus made that first statement to the soldiers and those that were manhandling him. Second statement, Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise to the dying thief who was asking Jesus to remember him after death. And certainly salvation is all by grace and not by religious works, not by performance, because this dying thief had none of those. And yet he was saved, and he was saved by the grace of God. Today you will be with me in paradise. And the third statement that Jesus said to Mary, his mother, his earthly mother, he said, woman, behold your son. And to John who was standing there, he said, behold your mother. 
You see, when you enter into salvation, when you enter in, uh, as a child of God, God takes care of our needs. He becomes your heavenly father. He is your good shepherd. He becomes the caretaker, a provider of our life, the one who will supply all our needs as we are in Christ Jesus. And so let's be Jesus as we place other needs before ourselves. That is the way of Jesus. That is the way of, as, ch- as children of God. So we ask ourselves in verse 45, as darkness comes over the Lamb, why at noon? Why did darkness come during this time? Well, I believe that God was given us a very visible sign of entering into something very serious and disturbing. A corner had been turned with what was happening to Jesus on the cross. Creation itself was mourning the suffering of the Creator. Darkness came across. You imagine at high noon when the sun is out. Now, my kids came from Oregon and they were expecting sunny California warm weather, and they brought Oregon weather with them. And in fact, at home, it's really beautiful and sunny up there. But imagine at that high noon, darkness comes over the land. It has been said, um, there are, there are some uh, historians that said that during this time, there was a great earthquake and there was a darkness and it was so dark that you could even see the stars at this time. And so darkness had came on, and, and, and Spurgeon said this of this moment. He said, the darkness is the symbol of the wrath of God which fell on those who slew his only begotten son. God was angry, and his frown removed, his frown removed the light of day. The symbol also tells us that our Lord Jesus Christ and what he was enduring. Darkness outside of him was the figure of darkness that was within him. This was something significant and pointed by the darkness. You know, when you go into a place and somebody is mad and upset, you don't even have to, you just know that environment, there is tension. You know, when you come home and your wife or your husband is there and you don't even have to ask him, you just know that there is some tension in the air. They're upset. But God is making it very clear. This is something disturbing. This is something upsetting. And so God allowed darkness to come. Nature covers the land with darkness to announce the depth of the suffering Savior. The farthest point from God the Father happened at this moment. The highest price of sin, the magnitude of God's love looms before us in the tormented Christ. We see this darkness. As we go through this, I want us to understand something here. As the darkness happens, the fellowship is broken between God and the, and the Son, Jesus Christ. We understand that the Trinity relationship with the God, the Father, and God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus was, was there on the cross and, and God, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father did not have to be persuaded by a loving son to do something for the sin condition of the world. 
Isaiah 53 says, Christ was stricken by God, smitten by God, afflicted. It was the Lord's will to crush him, his son, and cause him to suffer. The father did not lay on the son an ordeal he was reluctant to bear, nor the son extract from the father a salvation he was reluctant to bestow. Here's what we're saying, is that the will of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost acted in total unison. They worked together in this. In verse 46, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we should think of the forsaken of the Father, of, of this abandonment of Jesus wasn't because of the being or the essence of this relationship with each other, that they were no longer one, that the, the, the Trinity had been divided in two. This abandonment was a break in fellowship, not a division of the Trinity. Anyway, that's very important to understand that. They were all on the same page. Jesus, who died the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God in 1 Peter 3.18. It was God the Father that exhibited his justice and love for us when he poured out wrath on his Son. It's all part of the plan. The heart of God. Jesus was willing to embrace it, and the Holy Spirit brought it together. In other words... God the Father has just as much love for you and I as Jesus does. It's not one that loves us more than the other. In fact, when you think of this, God the Father let his son suffer so that we wouldn't have to suffer being eternally separated from God and the horrific pains of hell. God the Father let his son do that. How much love the Father has for us to let his own child go through this for us. That moment God Father turned his back on Jesus so he would never have to turn his back on us. And we praise God for that. It's in the mind of God to offer this salvation for us. It's an amazing plan. Let me illustrate it with a story. There was a man who was brought before a judge for speeding. I don't know, I'm on a ticket roll. Last time I was talking about getting a parking ticket. Well, here's a man that gets a speeding ticket. Not that I've ever gotten a speeding ticket. The fine was assessed at $100, but the man had no money to pay the fine. In sheer sympathy, the judge did what he had to do. He did not have to do. He left the bench he laid aside his robe, stood by the guilty defendant, took out a $100 bill, laid it on the temple, on the table. Then he turned to put on his robe, walked back up the stairs to his desk, leaned over, took the $100 bill he had laid on the table, and said to the defendant, thank you, fine, paid in full, you are free to go. My friend, this is what God the Son did. He made a payment to God the Father for those who would accept his gift of eternal life. We have to keep in mind that God the Father was not forced to suffer. Jesus was not forced to, to do this beyond 
circumstances beyond his control. God chose this for our sake. To suffer through his son. He chose to be accepted by some, rejected by a majority of the world. He suffered because he willed it so. He had before him an infinite number of possible worlds in which he could create, in which there was no fall, nor sin, or no need of redemption. Yet he chose the plan with all of its injustice and pain, and we are invited to believe that this plan was the best looking from all eternity. What amazing love, what amazing God that we have. Jesus responded and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know this was the first time when Jesus addressed God without calling him father? And it seemed that the relationship had changed, that that at that moment, the father didn't seem to be acting like a father. Have you ever had that experience with God? God, it seems like in my relationship, you're not acting like you are a father to me. You're not acting like you love me. You're not acting like I think that you should act, God. As we see this, this elevates the suffering of Jesus to a new level. No longer he has the fellowship of God the Father for eternity. There was this constant, intimate, personal fellowship that was sweet and wonderful and is one. There was no other relationship more perfect than God the Father and God the Son at this precise moment in time. For eternity, in this precise moment, there was silence because God the Father had turned his back on the Son. Forsaken means to be abandoned. Leaves us in a strait to leave, leave us helpless. This is what this word means. Totally abandoned. Utterly forsaken by his father. And if Jesus feels, felt that, I think there's going to be times in our life that we will feel that as well. But the truth of the matter, my friend, as the, as the Bible says in Hebrews 13, it says that he would never leave us nor forsake us. That's the truth. Sometimes we don't feel that. When Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I believe it says that he would never leave us. I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. I mean, there's no virus, there's nothing, there's no situation, there's no circumstances. If you're a child of God, you will never be separated from the love of God. One time, a, uh, a true story, a young Jewish girl who lived in in the Warsaw ghetto in the darkness of the Second World War. She hid from the Nazis in a cave and wrote these words on a palm, excuse me, in a poem on the wall of the cave. It said, and she says this, I believe in the sun, even though it's not shining. I believe in love when feeling it or not. I believe in God, even when he is silent. And it's to believe as a word picture when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? It was like that he was grabbing to the hands of God the Father. 
He believed. It wasn't that he didn't believe. He's grabbing. He knew he was there. And just like he is in those times when we don't feel like it, but we know that he's there and he loves us. We all have those moments, those experiences, those tragedies, and the loved ones that, that happen, and we ask that, why, God? Why? Though at times we may feel forsaken, the truth we never really are if you are a child of God. King David said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, but here in this story, the righteous one was forsaken. He did that for you and I. At the ninth hour, he cried the loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, as to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out, why, God, why have you done that? The why in the why is an interesting question. Was it that Jesus didn't know the why was happening to him? He knew because he always said, you know, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised up again the third day. He knew that. Well, if we were to turn and look at Psalms 22, we won't at this time, but in verse 1 it says there that he says it, this this quote is given. David is saying, you know, as he's going through life, and he said, God, it seems like you've forsaken me. And he said, why have you forsaken me, God? So Jesus, in a prophetic moment, takes Psalms 22, brings it to the cross. And there are other two parts in that Psalms 22 where he speaks prophetically as well as David is, uh, is writing Psalms 22 and what he's going through. And I think the why there is, well, it identifies with us because we, we have the uh, potential and the tendency to ask God why. And Jesus did. Jesus had known great pain and suffering, but this was something different. He had never yet experienced this. There was significant sense in what Jesus rightly felt forsaken by the Father at this moment. And at this moment, time for eternity, God the Father regarded God the Son as if he were a sinner. Listen, my friend, and get this real closely. This is important. If God the Father turns his back on his Son because our sin was placed upon him, if you stand before a holy God in your own sin, you cannot expect that God's going to wink at you as a sinner. Please understand the, gra- the, the gravity of a sinner standing before a holy God in his own sin. If he turns away from his own son, he will turn away from the sinner who rejected his son, Jesus Christ. Paul said, Paul would later write, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might became, become the righteousness of God in him, First, Second Corinthians 5. It's amazing, the actual outpouring of God's wrath upon Jesus as a substitute for our sinful humanity. Spurgeon wrote this about the why question. We can imagine the answer to Jesus' question, why? 
because my son, you have chosen to stand in the place of guilty sinners. You, God the Father talking to Jesus, answered question by Spurgeon, you have never known sin. You have made the infinite sacrifice to become sin and receive my just wrath upon sin and sinners. You do this because of your great love and because of my great love. Perhaps the Father might give, perhaps the Father might have given the Son a glimpse of his reward. The righteously robed multitude of his people on heavenly golden streets, all of them singing the Redeemer's praise, all of them chanting the name of Jehovah and the Lamb. There, this was a part of the answer to his question. The amazing thing about this, that God loves you so much that he would do all that, not just for the world, but for you and for me, if we needed the saving, if they're the only one that needed the saving. I'm going to give you five applications to the sermon this morning. And I want to make it relevant for us today. So first of all, number one, as followers of Jesus, we place others before, as followers of Jesus, we place others before our needs, even in the worst of times. You remember the point, and I bring it up again because if it so fits, and we need to understand that Jesus, in the midst of the most amazing pain, the most difficult suffering of his life, and still he is concerned about others. The whole point of him dying was about others. And even while he is suffering, he was still about others. Talking to the dying thief, his mother, and taking care of the needs and forgiveness to the soldiers. You see, this is a relevant point. We enter in a season of worry about our health and our public safety and the things going and financially and jobs and all these things. And there are a lot of unknown questions, and there are questions that we're wrestling because we've never navigated through such a thing. But always in the midst of this, let's not let it be about us. Let us not be about um, withdrawing but let us engage like Jesus did. Let us not be about hoarding and being stint, but let us step up and be generous even in the most difficult times as Jesus did. If we have two rolls of toilet paper and our neighbor has none, let's be generous. Let's share. Jesus lived his life with the needs of others in mind. Let's be Jesus and place other needs before ourselves. Look for ways. How can we help? How can we assist? Let's bless. Number two, difficult times are times that people come, become most open to hear the gospel about God. You know, there's, there's some stories that are going out, that are coming out in China. In China, the Christians have been uh, conducting outreach ministries on the streets. In Wahoon, if I said that right, in the place of where they believe the origination of the coronavirus, that they, the Christians had some um, uh, masks, and they would go out into the public, and they would open up their trunk, and there's videos of showing Christians giving out masks to the locals. And it was such a, a blessing 
and 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 that the, the city of officials and public ministries uh, of the government uh, noticed this, and it brought them great f- uh, uh, favor among the the government in in a socialist, communist, anti-God country. One one man says, "This mask is for you." Is quoted. It says it represents the love of God. One man is heard saying in the footage, my God bless everyone in the community. Take the mask in this gospel leaflet. One pastor in China, in this, who was a pastor in this city that I just mentioned, recently penned a letter encouraging and exhorting the body of Christ in the midst of disease and death. In the center of this, he said this, Christ has already given us peace. But his peace is not to remove us from disaster and death, but rather to have peace in the midst of disaster and death because Christ has already overcome these things, John 14, 27. He said this, he wrote, Otherwise we have not believed in the gospel of peace, and the world will be terrified of pestilence and lose hope in the face of death. He said that even if a believer dies in the midst of tribulation, it's still not a defeat spoken for today. Wahoon's pestilence cannot separate us from the love of Christ. This love is in our Lord Jesus Christ. These words are so comforting for us. We have already become one body with Christ, he wrote. Therefore, Christ is with us as we face the pestilence in this city. The pestilence cannot harm us. If we die in the pestilence, it is an opportunity to witness to Christ and even more to enter into his glory. I believe this is the command of God calling all of us living in Wahoon. He said, we are to seek peace for the city and seek peace for those who are afflicted with this illness. Seek peace for the medical personnel struggling on the front line. Seek peace for every government official at every level. Seek peace for all the people, Wahoon. In the midst of of what was going on. He wrote that letter. I'm just saying that the world is, is looking for peace and troubled about life, especially if they don't know God. If they have no God, they don't have the peace that we have that passes all understanding. Let's take this time to not pull back, but to engage in people's life, to encourage, to give peace, to give hope, to point them to a God who loves was such a great that we just heard about that wants to be there for them and help them. It's a great opportunity to evangelize, to, to talk to, Jesus, to others about Jesus Christ. Number three, and God loves to turn bad into good. Oh, we look at the cross, and as they're going through the cross, and certainly it looked like a very bad time for, for, for God, for Jesus, for, for the, uh, the followers of Jesus, and yet it was the best of time. God takes that which is bad and turns into good. Listen, if you're not saved, this is a great time for you to, to accept Jesus. He wants you to turn your position as a sinner into a saint. He wants that. He invites you. This is a time, and maybe you're tender towards this. This is great. We, we, we know that God can help you. We know that God can save you. He can turn your life around. I also get excited about the church. The church is, is coming together. 
churches, you know, with, with all the, the, the things that distract us, sports, concerts, even our jobs, all those things. And, and, and it just kind of takes those things away that, that we think are important. And we come to a reality, to, a, to an honest place and say, you know, this is what more important than all those other things. And we just have a discernment and a, and a, and a purging and, and, and a, uh, going through our, our personal inventory of our hearts and of our lives. And, and, and I love that. And I love that one of the things is that it's happening among churches because, you know, they, they can't hold services. What was happening is that churches are now getting more used to the idea of digital services. And, this, and the reason I speak of this is because our next generation is very digital, and so there is an adaption going into the churches today. And with that, I'm excited because then that there are more people of the next generation that are hearing the gospel through these different means that we, uh, uh, you know, honestly, are personally, are not familiar with. But now the church is being moved to a digital age from an audible church to a digital church. And God is working through that. And God's message is going in a greater way into the next generation. And I get excited by the number four. Remember, we're all, we always have hope in Christ, but the world doesn't. And so they have a different response. And we make and look and, and laugh and, you know, the Toilet paper, you know, what's that going to do? <laughs> but yet, you understand where they're coming from. We have a peace that they don't know. We have a faith and a God that's bigger than anything that can happen in the world. And I think that we can, we can uh, come alongside those individuals and help them, encourage them. And so their reaction is going to be different to a tragedy than ours. And I'll give you one more. Always keep the suffering of Jesus fresh in your mind. One of the things that God has given us to do that is communion. So in a moment, after I pray, we're going to have communion. And and, uh, I want to add something else that will connect us uh, from the message to to the communion table. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you at this time, and I don't know how this message was laid out before us and how we should respond. God, you do. You know exactly what is needed. You know exactly who would be here. God, you you know who you're speaking and how you're speaking to each of us. So right now, Father, we respond to your leadership. We respond and and we embrace what you're doing. And Father, we want to just praise you for the sacrifice that you have done for us. May that never get old. As we take communion, may it be afresh again. Renew our thoughts about that sacrifice. Help us to continue to grow in the depth of your love, what you did for us. Keep that fresh and alive 
in us. If there be one here, Father, that needs to open their hearts to you, Lord, may they be willing to do that at this moment and say, yes, God, I, I know I'm a sinner and accept the work that you have done on the cross in their life right now. Father, I pray for that, that we'd all come to know who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.